uh, two members of the Anime World Order podcast talking about just what their experiences with conventions are like. So I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, hi, I'm Daryl Surratt. Uh, like he said, one third of the Anime World Order podcast. I'm also a writer for Otaku USA Magazine, Crunchyroll News, and uh, all sorts of other things like that. See me on the internet. And I'm Gerald Rathgold, the other third of the Anime World Order podcast. Uh, uh, I wrote once for Otaku USA, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> okay, so first off question that we like to always ask our interview subjects is, what was your first convention experience, anime or otherwise? Uh, my first convention experience was anime. It was uh, Anime Week in Atlanta, I believe I was, uh, you know, 1997 or 1998. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I lived in Florida. At the time, we thought there were no anime conventions in Florida, so you have to go out of state to go to an anime convention. Little did I know there were, you know, a few anime conventions already in the state. They were just under the radar, as it were. But yeah, I didn't have a science fiction background or a Star Trek background or any of those things where people would, you know, go to other conventions first. So anime cons were uh, my first and still basically my primary. Mm -hmm. um, I actually, uh, mainly my background is anime, but I didn't live in Florida. I came from the Virgin Islands, where there were no conventions of any sort. Mm -hmm. And so actually my first conventions were in the mid-90s, and they were mostly Star Trek conventions and sci-fi conventions, and a few comic book things, because those would always have one or two dealers that would sell anime there, and that was kind of a convenient way to get it. Yeah. And you guys have been to quite a few conventions since. Is there anything you guys see at certain conventions that you wish they would do either more, like certain practices, or some things you think they should do less? Well, sure, there's a laundry list of those. You can certainly <laughs> go off. Um, I think some conventions, um, I really like now that anime conventions are kind of experiencing a shift in their focus of like what is the purpose of the convention mm -hmm. that um, they're sort of deciding okay the way to ensure that people still come to conventions now is through uh, events and programming mm -hmm. and so there's been in the last few years a move towards uh, more unique live events uh, programming uh, panel opportunities and that sort of thing and so they're trying to you know, it's an emerging practice, but, you know, the notion of having a featured uh, material content presenters and, you know, not really a guest, so to speak, not somebody you could advertise. It's like, okay, come to our convention because we've got so-and-so here. But, you know, people who do a significant amount of, you know, work, maybe they do a game show or maybe they do a, a showing of, you know, not just a video, but, you know, some sort of, you can call it theatrical presentation, as it were. Or, you know, lectures, people who are, you know, experts in the field, you know, those people, they can maybe help out by maybe, I don't know, give them a room, give them a little something to make it a little easier to get to the convention. Um, I'd like to see more of that uh, because... It would help us. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure, we're showing ourselves. I'm not going to lie, guys. But um, the, the other benefit is just that the original purpose of the anime convention was to watch videos. Now anyone can watch anime whenever they want. And so, you know, what is the new reason to go to the anime convention? Well... Maybe it's to see, you know, a certain performance of something, whether it's music or whether it's, you know, some sort of, you know, video showing that's like related to, let's say, your fandom of choice. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the direction we're going. I'd like to see more of that. What I'd like to see less of, and this isn't really um, an issue with what I'll call multimedia conventions, mm -hmm. but if you're going to call yourself an anime convention. Um, I would like the focus to be at least related to that 
sphere of Asian pop culture. Yeah. Um, we're starting to see uh, emerging trends of including, you know, more sci-fi fantasy, uh, Ren fair type things into conventions that are still billing themselves, advertising themselves as anime conventions. And I, the way I see it, if you're going to do that, that's fine. <coughs> Just call yourself a multimedia convention yeah. or a geek convention or something. Yeah, I mean, every big town has got its geek convention that is basically just showing what is popular at the time. Um, I know that Oticon uh, this year, where we are at now, um, they have kind of doubled down and said, you know, we are an anime convention. We're going to be an anime convention, and so all of our guests will be anime-related as much as possible, or Asian pop culture-related, uh, because some, some cons have strayed a little bit. And Oticon, I believe their policy is because they're so big, they can do this. They said, you know, we're about ten percent non-anime related. So they'll have fifteen, but again, yeah, they'll have like they have a steampunk panel nine a.m. on Sunday, and they've got maybe a zombie panel every two or three years or something. Yeah. So keep it relevant. Keep it. That's that's the thing. And I mean, they could make a zombie panel yeah. that is perfectly relevant to anime, yeah. but then they make they have the the you know Max Brooks style zombie. Yeah, thing. exactly. And I mean, you mentioned that there, there's nothing wrong with having that, that, you know, an event that's the general geek culture or whatever, yes. but just build it properly. And I, I know that's something I've been hearing from a lot of different people is just, you know, it's not a problem just, you know, you're not going to go to, say, Anime Boston and look for a Doctor Who panel. Right. Like Although I, I will point out that Doctor Who seems to be the most popular costume. Uh, yeah, well, well, yeah costumes well, you can't really control. So. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that, that's one of those things that Everyone's going to have their own costume, no matter what. I mean, you'll, you, I'm surprised I haven't seen Darth Vader this weekend yet. I mean, it, it, well, it is about 100 <laughs> some degrees out. <laughs> yeah, that Darth Vader outfit in that line. Although there are, there are some fursuits out there, and I don't see how <laughs> these guys are managing it. I don't see how they manage it in general with those outfits. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, one thing that I'm seeing at the larger conventions too, and this is like a really small thing. But I love it. Is there's like these apps, like the one that we're using this weekend is called Guidebook. Oh, yes. And because the uh, convention schedule is going to change all the time, no matter what, at every con, and it's great that you can just get it on your phone right away. I, uh, I love it for planning my day. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to just look. Oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. Yeah, and things like that. Um, and I, I really hope more conventions pick up on it because it is so useful. Right, yeah, and, and so much, especially anime conventions, yeah. tend to be younger, more tech-savvy people. I mean, anime fandom more than other fandoms is kind of built on the internet. People are yeah. more likely to have <coughs> smartphones uh, than not. And so if you have the online schedule, then that's a lot of money you could save on printing fewer flyers. Yeah, most likely the more likely to have a very expensive smartphone but not be able to pay the rent. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess my next question then is as you know, people who work on podcasts and writing articles, what do you guys look for like for a convention, what really kind of attracts you to a certain event? Believe uh, it or not, um, I'll go first. Um, believe it or <laughs> not, um, the guest list and you know musical acts aren't really that big of a factor for mm -hmm. me. Um, it's very few conventions get the caliber of guests that you know I'd be an old time you know anime geek would be that interested in. Otakon's an exception; they can get guests from Japan, they can premiere things that have never been seen in the U.S. before, but most conventions don't have that luxury, mm -hmm. you know. To use the second largest there is as the standard is just an impossible one to meet. Yeah. 
So I usually look in terms of the programming schedule, things like what events are you going to have? Because I've been to conventions where they basically put all their resources towards the main events and then leave everything else just as an afterthought and virtually unsupervised. Some Most panels, are very bad about that. Yeah. And then those conventions, I find myself at them and I have nothing to do with them. And the thing about having you know live events that are, are very unique is that you can have something to go to. Mm -hmm. And um, when you go in and you pay your money for a ticket, uh, you want to get your money's worth, so to speak. And while there certainly is a value to just hanging out in the halls and people watching, you know, for my money's worth, I feel like you know these convention tickets are only going up as you know the economy changes. It's like, all right. At some point, I can just see a lot of these pictures from going online and looking at cosplay photos or yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, every every convention has got the masquerade and cosplay, and you're going to see roughly the same sort of costumes around. So, I'm, I mean, for me, it is the same. It is very much like panels. Who's going to be running the panels? What subjects are they on? Um, that's really what attracts me, and uh, that's why I like to look at, you know, first of all, who's doing the panel and then what the subject is. Yeah. Of course, that, I will say that's a... A distinct minority opinion. I mean, a panel at a, size, a panel at a convention the size of Otakon, you know, even if 600 people show up, that's really only two percent yeah. of the total attendance. And your average convention where we come from, which is Florida, you know, if it's over a thousand people, that's a big convention. You know, and if you can get 30 people in your panel, that's a successful panel, right? Yeah. So you know, the percentages are still the same, roughly. You know, maybe about two percent. You know. So maybe absolute maximum of five or so would be interested in you know panels, live events we're talking about. Most people are perfectly fine with masquerade, AMV contests, and that sort of thing. It's just since I've been going to conventions since 1997 or so, you know, I want something a little different. Yeah, and in your eyes, what do you think makes a successful panel experience as either a panelist or an audience member? Um, I know Daryl doesn't necessarily agree with me on this. I'm going to go with it anyway. <laughs> I think a successful panel is one that's run by someone who is who is interested in their subject, who's enthusiastic about their subject, and who is knowledgeable about their subject, and who can also make me interested in it. Um, one of the examples I use is Toho. I don't like Toho, those shooting games. I don't care about Toho. It's not my thing. But if I could conceivably go to a panel that the guest could make me interested in Toho, yeah. that's a very good panel. It's just a hat. It's yet to happen. It hasn't <laughs> happened yet. So, but I think that would be kind of that would be kind of my high watermark for a panel. I don't disagree with any of that, actually. No, I mean, um, <laughs> no that's certainly a, a criteria. I mean, preparedness. Yes. Um, very most um, most panels are sort of like the heart's in the right place. You know, people who are enthusiastic about a given subject, but um, they don't have any preparation to know what they're going to say. They just know I like bleach. Yeah. And they I'll say, just run a bleach panel. I'll run a panel on that. But it's yeah. I prefer if people know what they're going to do ahead of time, like they've got maybe some sort of outline or plan. Yeah. Um, for some of the more elaborate ones, particularly if there are multiple presenters, um, some degree of dry run rehearsals mm -hmm. beforehand, you know, come in handy. So I usually appreciate <coughs> preparedness because all of that serves the criteria that Gerald just mentioned of making a topic interesting to people who are usually inclined to want to be interested in the subject you're talking about anyway, otherwise they would have never walked in the door. And it's very difficult as well because you have such a wide range of fans at a convention. Mm -hmm. Like if I wanted to do a panel on 
Bleach. Would this be a panel for hardcore fans of Bleach so that we could just run through all the spoilers and talk about yeah. the show in depth, or is this a Bleach 101 panel? So and that I makes mean, it very difficult. And, and I think sometimes you have to build it properly, too. Yes. There was a panel we went to called Mecha Modeling 101, <laughs> or it was talked about as Mecha Modeling 101. Like an introductory. Yeah, yeah. introductory Mecha Modeling. And that, that idea is that this is going to introduce you to just basics of mecha modeling, and they were talking about kit bashing and Ooh. these things like that were very, yeah. very advanced techniques that are used by you know experts. And you know, I've been you know building uh, plastic model kits for years and never needed to do some of these no. things because they're not basic. And again, yeah. their hearts were definitely in the right place. They loved yeah. mecha modeling, and if this were an advanced mecha modeling panel, that would have been great. Yeah, but. I was going in there expecting some more basics. Yeah, so. and you, you mentioned you know preparation being key. I've, I can't just put into words how frustrating it's been going into a panel, and the first thing you hear out of the panelist's mouth is looking at the other panelists and saying, "So what are we going to talk about, guys?" There's it's, a lot of those. Yeah, it's a lot of those. There's a lot of like, especially in Florida, there's a lot of these things that build themselves as a panel about nothing. Yeah. And which are purely designed upon the the strength of the host, the charisma of the host. Yeah. Yeah. And the voice actors can do that. Yeah, because people are interested in that particular person. Or if you're a local personality. So. Yeah. And, and I also think also you know you can't have a you should uh, never go too strict, but have a loose idea. But you still definitely need some foundation. So when there is kind of a lull in the action what you need something to talk about. That's why some of the other cons I've seen, like you can submit panels, but now they want to see an outline. Yeah. And this is kind of difficult, because sometimes I'm submitting panels with just an idea. Yeah. I have an outline together, but I understand the idea, that yeah. you want to get up there and you want to know what, you, you, you want to know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I completely understand. You don't form the idea until you get the approval notice yeah. from the convention. I, I think maybe one thing that will also go towards what makes uh, something enjoyable uh, that we might not necessarily agree upon. I'm not a fan of PowerPoint. I don't like lectures and slides and things like that. I don't like to be too reliant on that. Um, I prefer multimedia. I prefer videos. I prefer you know something a little more you know active as a viewing because I feel like um, when I think of PowerPoint lecture, I think of school. I mm -hmm. think of uh, you know boring college class. And uh, a lot of people, you know, even in the business world, uh, really don't use PowerPoint effectively. Like they try to put way too much information on a slide, and they just read what's yeah. on a PowerPoint. And that, to me, isn't. At that point, you're basically there to look at their slides and not the person. I like to focus more on yeah. either the material yeah. being presented in terms of video or the words that are coming out of the speaker's mouth. That's just me. I actually don't disagree with that, but I think it's. I don't have a problem with PowerPoint as a means of putting things in front of people, but I agree that yeah. you shouldn't have more than a couple of words, if any, per slide, yeah, and that it don't. should be much more focused on, uh, you know, showing, you know, videos if you've got a video exam yeah, or something. Don't, like don't. It, it's, it's a very easy thing to misuse. Yes, it's, it's, it's far more misused than not. Yeah, don't, don't just read the slide because then you can, you know, what's the point of view? Yeah, we went to another panel that, again, was very well-intentioned, but the guy just had Paragraph. He had like three bullet points, and there would be a paragraph in each bullet point, and he would just read the whole paragraph. <laughs> and I mean, we've all gone to lectures like that. Yeah, I mean, some things there's literally no other way to present the material. Yeah. I mean, even I at this convention am basically going to do what is 
the equivalent of a PowerPoint presentation. And um, in cases like that, you know, as many visual aids as possible, you know, yeah. Yeah. still images and such uh, are the way to do that. But, you know, yeah. I bill it as, you know, kind of a dry educational thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, some ways you, you can't get around it. You've you got to keep your audience engaged, I think is the, the key here. That's probably the most important single thing yeah. in any panel. Not just panels, any, yeah. Anything. any convention. Yeah. Um, you know, event or the like is all about you know keeping audience interest. Yeah. Okay. So my, I guess the last question then is, do you guys have a favorite convention memory or something that sticks out in your mind? Is this one is one of the neatest moments you ever experienced at a con? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I I'm a Mecca fan. Like that was kind of one of the things that drew me into Japanese animation was sci-fi and robots mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And I um, grew up on Robotech. Um, and of course, eventually you do the research on that, and you find out the, the original Japanese shows were, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And um, you know, the Superdimensional Fortress Macross is one of my personal favorites. And so, a couple of years ago, I, you know, got to have an interview with the guy who um, created that series, directed it, and he's, you know, here at this convention as well. I mean, I, I already had my, you know, discussion with him. I mean, I'm certain I could talk to him forever about a oh, variety right. of <laughs> topics since the guy's a fountain of knowledge. Yeah, and um, you know, that to me is worth more than an autograph or you know, what have you. I mean, I haven't gotten autographs in a long time just because I feel it's a little more a better souvenir to, you know, hey, I sat down and talked to them. And I was I had the chance to do that um, at a convention. And so, you know, that is one of my better memories. Another one is Similarly, it's a you know, convention going, but um, you know, I would say one of my favorite anime of all time was Giant Robo, and I got to you know talk with the creator of Giant Robo, the, the new one, not Mr. Teriyama. But that to me was completely <coughs> unexpected because I just went to go and watch the guy give a lecture, and then you know in the autograph line, you know, I just got done saying I don't do autographs anymore, but you know <laughs> back then. You know, I gave him something to autograph. It was kind of an unconventional thing uh, that he didn't expect anyone in America to have. And they invited me to like an after party, and then we just sat and talked for hours. And so that was really uh, a memorable experience for me. Uh, well, you still have my first one there, but I'm typically not like a music fan. I don't really follow music that well and such. But uh, one of the most memorable ones for me was. Um, some of the little music that I follow is actually anime-related. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, they had the only band that I care about in Japan, Jam Project, here. Yes. And I got to go to their concert, and that was incredible. It was just how I hoped it would be. And I, I'm not a concert person. Yeah. So I had a great time there. And I, the, the thing is, there's probably no other like musical act I could think of that I really would want to see enough to see them live, and mm -hmm. except for them. And then we got to meet them afterwards, and we had a press session, and I got to get a photograph with them, and that was terrific. So uh, yeah, that, was, that, that was actually reminded me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got to ask him a question about, you know, one of the songs that he sang. He had our microphone, he started singing the song, because he remembered the song. Yeah. Nobu Kageyama, and you were asking him about Andy uh, uh, Guys. Oh, yes. uh, you know, one of the most notoriously bad uh, yeah. Japanese animation ever made, but it was one of his earliest songs that he did, and he still remembered the song. Oh, no, but none of the other members of the band remembered the song, so I mean, he was pretty uh, impressed. <laughs> that, that reminds me, I love, I love talking to Japanese guests who have a, a long history in anime, mm -hmm. because virtually every 
virtually every creator has had to, you know, take their hits at some point and work on stuff that they weren't terribly proud of necessarily. And we got to interview this one couple a couple of years ago that, like, just after they got married, they worked on this notoriously bad movie called Crystal Triangle. <laughs> and they were there, they worked on, like, Sailor Moon and stuff after that, but we were just asking them about Crystal Triangle all the time, and they were just laughing it up. But they, anybody remembered this, this terrible movie from the 80s. All right. Um, where can people find more information about what you guys are up to? Sure. Um, we've been running a podcast for sporadically for about six years now called the Anime World Order Podcast. It's www.animeworldorder.com. Um, Otaku USA Magazine is at otakusamagazine.com. And Crunchyroll News is crunchyroll.com slash news, but people already know that one since that's uh, apparently the number one English language anime site. Uh, there it is. And you can find us both on Twitter. I'm Gerald underscore A-W-O. And I am D-A-R-Y-L S-U-R-A-T. It's my first and last name. And Those are antics. I don't, I don't consider educational antics. No, not necessarily. And you can follow our official Twitter at AnimeWorldOrder.com. Oh, it's uh, just Anime World Order. Is the oh yeah, Anime World Order. So that's, that's about the extent of our social networking. Thank you guys for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, pleasure to you know, talk to you, and especially in this, you know, really swank, decidedly yeah, anime the, the, the convention fancy <laughs> they gave us here. setting. Uh, all right.